This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon, good evening, good night, good good morning, perhaps, um, depending where you might be in the world right now. I'm Harry Waters, and you are listening to The Twilight Show. It is Wednesday, October the 12th, which is here in Spain, the Dia de Spanidad. Um, or Columbus Day in the States, I believe. So it is a national holiday, but I'm here anyway um, to share with you a few nuggets uh, of joy um, and other ideas. So as I mentioned, we are celebrating today in, in Spain the, the day that the Italian gentleman arrived in, in the, the Caribbean and said that he had discovered America. Um, interesting enough, uh, to discover something that already has people in it. Um, yeah, I discovered oxygen. No, you didn't discover it. Uh, it was already there, but you found out what it was maybe. Um, so today I've got a, a really special guest, but before we get to that, I'm just gonna go through, as I always do, a few bits and pieces about what I've been up to um, and how things are going. So I am currently uh, writing an activity book uh, in my materials writer role, which is uh, exciting um, and, and challenging as well, I have to say. Looking for the, the literature sections is always something that, uh, that, that, that troubles me a little, but I've I found bits here, there and everywhere, which is good. Um, and then those, and then you'll obviously have to adapt it to, to however you need it or, or whatever is required of the, um, of the book. So, you know, that's been my challenge this week. Uh, what else have I been up to? I've, I've been preparing for a, a webinar that I'm doing, a roundtable webinar on the 21st. Uh, and I've been working on cultivating uh, change makers, which is a, a project that I'm, I'm busy uh, getting through at the moment. And it's going to be the, the start of Renewable English uh, coming very soon. And, of course, I've had my, my classes as well, which have been brilliant this week, really good. Um, so on Monday, we had a, a local festival, which is called Torijos, where it's a, a romeria, which is a bit like a pilgrimage to a, a local church. Um, and it was really fun to go on because it's the first one since COVID, and we, we've only been in the village for, for three years. So we actually missed the last few, and it was really nice to see everybody out and about and and enjoying themselves and there's nothing a spanish village likes more than jumping on horseback and going as dr and drinking as much alcohol as they possibly can um it's a fun tradition i have to say um but as i don't drink it was quite amusing to to sit there and watch everybody else uh, enjoying themselves on full merriment and as you know it's not exactly cold here so it was um, it was 30-something degrees, and yeah, we, yeah, there were people who were a few sheets to the wind, I, I must admit, but it was, a, it was a really enjoyable day. It was a really enjoyable uh, time to, you know, to be with people and, and get out there and, and, and mingle all over again and, and share the, the delights of Torijos. Um, as I mentioned before, this this fun local festival where we all go down and, and stand in a field and yeah, sit there and 
talk about nonsense and, and dance. And my wife got some wonderful photos as well. Other than that, what's on the horizon? Well, tomorrow I'm going to the UK. I'll be, I'll be in amongst you, my friends. I'm going to the UK. I'm going to see my nan, um, who I haven't seen for basically since I moved in here. So April 2019, I really miss my nanny. Uh, so I'll go and see her for a while. There's a big family party. Uh, and yeah, we're going to go there and we're going to see some things and, and do some stuff and, you know, get the family together as you do. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's my week. Uh, that's what I've got in store. And yeah, that's what I'll be doing. What have you been up to? Have you been doing anything exciting, anything interesting? Please do feel free to call in and, and let us know. Call in and join us. Very shortly, I'll be joined by my my wonderful guest, uh, Mr. Mr. James Taylor. Um, but before that, we're going to listen to the news and we'll be back very, very shortly. teamed up with the Witherslack Group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free with lunch included and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for your voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash your voice 2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators. Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and wellbeing in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The TES magazine focuses on fears of a teacher trainee shortage as a report reveals ITT cold spots. The report in the magazine says the Department for Education in England has been warned that it must urgently tackle teacher training cold spots as analysis reveals recruitment issues across England. The analysis suggests that multiple regions in England face losing swathes of places on courses, 
after a government shake-up cut initial teacher training provided numbers by a quarter. Recent results of the second and final rounds of the DfE's re-accreditation process showed that around 25% of existing providers could be lost. The teacher training sector is now calling for a pragmatic and realistic approach to ensuring trainees can access courses in all parts of the country. This comes at a time when the number of teachers entering the profession is falling. The North East is facing the sharpest potential loss as 32% of trainee places available last year are under threat. The East and South West regions also face significant cuts of around 24%. The report acknowledges that some new providers have received approval to start offering courses from 2024, but others within the sector are concerned that this will not fully resolve the issues. Providers have 15 days to lodge an application to appeal loss of accreditation. Teams of the UK's most talented young tradespeople are to begin competing in the World Skills Competition 2022. The competition, traditionally held in just one country, is, this year, taking in smaller events across the world. The event, which sees a UK team of 35 travel around the globe, begins in Stuttgart, Germany, on the 4th of October, and will end on November the 26th in Salzburg, Austria. The UK team will be looking to improve on a 12th place finish at the 2019 event. FE Week features details of the competitors and their areas of specialism, which include toolmaking, milling, web development and cybersecurity. Winners for each category will be announced during closing ceremonies for each competition, with medals given to those achieving gold, silver or bronze. Medals of excellence will be given to those judged to have reached world-class standard in their skill. In Wales, First Minister Mark Drakeford has taken part in an online Q&A session with school pupils. The session, hosted by the Politics Project, gives opportunities for schools to support learners in realising one of the four purposes of the Curriculum for Wales, becoming ethical, informed citizens of Wales and the world. Questions range from finding out about the politicians' journey into politics, climate change and whether Wales can indeed win the World Cup. And finally, in South Africa, the government has issued a press release focusing on the recruitment of 25,000 education assistants and general school assistants for both public and special schools. The recruitment drive is part of the Presidential Youth Employment Initiative. Education assistants will support teachers with administrative tasks, classroom management, sports coaching and cultural activities, whilst the general assistants will focus on maintenance, cleaning and general admin. The programme is part of a drive to improve standards within schools in the country, as well as increasing employment opportunities. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week is World Space Week. Space is such a vast topic, there's always something you can find out that could potentially be a hook for a lesson. The theme this year is sustainability. I only found out about Space Week as I was browsing the internet. This got me thinking about how amazing the internet is and how so much information is at our fingertips. This week, I'm going to look at finding inspiration for a lesson using information I would never have known about without the amazing technology of the internet. During my research, I've discovered that there are a number of websites out there dedicated to awareness days. I've compiled a list of genuine official awareness days to motivate your form, classes, colleagues, or even yourself from now until the end of term. 
In October we have Buy British Day, National Poetry Day, National Kale Day, World Octopus Day and World Porridge Day. This one sounds funny but it's actually to raise awareness for children in poverty in developing countries. Local Radio Day. To celebrate this our very own Tom Rogers is going to stop talking every time he goes under a bridge. Still in October we have National Roast Pheasant Day, UK Coffee Week, Apple Day, Global Champagne Day, International Stammering Awareness Day, World Tripe Day, National Pumpkin Day, American Beer Day, National Black Cat Day and Wild Foods Day. There's not much information on Wild Foods Day, but if you do go all bear grills, please do let us know how it went. Ending October, we have RSPB Feed the Birds Day. Please feed the birds more than just one day. In November, there's World Vegan Day, National Stress Awareness Day, Roast Dinner Day, International Stout Day and National Hug a Bear Day. I'd advise against hugging a real bear, however, it would make a very engaging lesson. Great British Game Week, British Pudding Day, Templiano Day and Zinfandel Day are followed by Homemade Bread Day. I think this is here to soak up all the wine. Still staying in November, there's National Gingerbread Day, National Eat a Cranberry Day, The Fruit, not a band member. The end of November brings us White Ribbon Day. Days of interest in December before we break up are Fuel Poverty Awareness Day, Christmas Jumper Day and National Hot Chocolate Day. The internet is an amazing resource for information. I hope you can find inspiration and motivation in your next search. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much, Steve, for for that uh, insightful uh, list of days. Um, I wonder if there is ever going to be an international day of not having a day day. Um, I think that would be a fun one, Uh, certainly something to celebrate, because don't get me wrong, as a vegan, World Vegan Day is great. Um, World Kale Day, I'm not quite so sure about. Again, as a vegan, I should love kale, but it can, it's only right when it's absolutely perfect. Otherwise, it's absolutely revolting. But on a more serious note, um, I do have a wonderful guest here today who I'm going to, to invite to the studio now. It's James Taylor. He's a, he's a teacher. He's a teacher trainer. He's an author, a speaker. He's... he's all sorts of wonderful things, um, and he's here with us right now. Are you there, James? Hello. Am I coming in loud and clear? You, you are loud and clear. Love Great. it. Great. Excellent. Hello, Harry. Thank so, you very much for having me here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I can see the sun shining through your window there. What's the weather like for you today? Uh, like it is almost every day, sort of about hot, 27 degrees. Uh, hasn't rained for about a month. Uh, so we could do with some, but uh, yeah, it's sort of typical Brasilia weather because that's where I live. There you go. We we had uh, it rained two nights in a row here for about seven minutes each night. Um, <laughs> as it started raining, I ran outside. I, you know, I made sure all the buckets were there and all the water butts were ready to receive the two inches of rain that we got. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a lot of rain for quite a short period of time. But anyway, um, James, it's lovely to have you on. Um, I'm very glad to be able to welcome you on. And as I like to do with with other guests, all guests, in fact, I'd like to know a little bit about you, if that's possible. Absolutely, of course. Um, so I'm a teacher, materials writer, trainer, um, based in Brasilia, like I said. Um, I've been here for a few years. Um, I've also uh, lived and taught in South Korea and in Belgium and in Costa Rica. Um, And nowadays I primarily am a materials writer. Um, And uh, I'm also 
the uh, communications director of Graz TESOL, the National Teachers Association. Um, and uh, I have about, I don't know, I always have about 50 projects on the go at any one time. Uh, <laughs> podcasts uh, also as well. Um, and so, uh, yes, I'm a busy, busy man, lots of things going on. I know that feeling of, of the, the various projects at once. It's one I, one I suffer from myself. Um, something that, I don't know, it, it's good to stay busy, uh, but sometimes you lose track of it. I've, I've got, I think, a thousand notebooks and, and 50 different calendars mm. with everything written on to make sure yeah. Um, yeah. that I can, I can stay on top of stuff. Um, I've got, there's a strange yeah. sound in the background. I'm not sure if it's from the, the headphones or, or something like that. It's possible. No, actually, that is the sound of Brasilia at this time of year. So if, if I pause for a second. It's like a sort of squeaking noise, right? Yeah. Um, that is the sound of the cicadas, the uh, like the crickets ah, that have just come out go. in the last couple of weeks. So that is the, that sound everywhere you go here, here for the next uh, month or so is the sound. Wow. And if you walk among the trees, it's almost deafening. It's incredibly loud. So there's wow. not much I can do about that. I don't have to go around <laughs> and kill about a million different uh, insects. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that would be so good. Um, I've heard, now I yeah. don't know how true this is, mm. that cicada noises can be can be kind of fought against with loud drum and bass music, but I'm not sure that would, would be better if you put on loud drum and bass music. Do you know, I don't mind, I'm, I'm partial to a bit of drum and bass sometimes, so I'm not against that idea. Um, there you go, I'm not but, sure how uh, your neighbours would feel. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so no, I'd give it, I could, I could give it a go. Fun fact. Uh, yeah. Once I, I, when I was living in China, I, I ate some fried, uh, cicadas and, uh, they weren't particularly nice. Um, mm. but what was worse was certainly the after effects. They, they created some aromas that I've never created since and never before, um, when I ex expelled from my body, and it was not something that I would recommend to anybody at all. Yeah, and this does this tie into your veganism at all now? Like, you know, uh, well, no, I mean, I am to events. No, there's not, but I, I am pro insect protein because you know it uses up so much mm, less, yeah. so many fewer resources. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's. It was, that was a regrettable decision, particularly as I had a 14-hour train journey that evening. Um, and, you know, it was in one of those sleeper trains where there were six people crammed into one of those small rooms. Um, yeah. I was Listen not better, right? the most Listen popular person. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, I'd like to start. So you mentioned what you, you've, you've uh, lived and worked in various places. You... Um, you, you are uh, members of, of various boards and so so on and so forth. Um, sadly, this year at IATEFL, I, I arrived late. I, I missed your talk. Uh, it was one of the... There were many great talks this year, um, but that was one that I wanted to see when I saw the programme. But after I didn't get to see it, I had some ridiculous FOMO and was just like, why, why wasn't this recorded? Because everybody was talking about it, James. Everybody was talking about it. I I'm not sure if that's, that's because nice it was know. so they good. Not, not to me, they weren't. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if it's because it's so good or because it's, it is, you know, the, the type of thing that I'm, I'm very much involved in. Um, let's let's say yeah, 
well, hopefully. But yeah, I, I heard it was <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. So I'm not going to tell everyone what it was about. I'm going to let you tell everybody what it was about. Okay, so my um, um, I always um, you know, I always like to talk about materials. This is my interest as a materials writer. But to be honest, I was kind of interested in it before I became a materials writer, um, and so I've always like looked at different aspects of um, of what we do uh, with our materials related to various different um, aspects of uh, subjects and identity and things like this. And so this for this year, I decided that I wanted to do one about the climate crisis because I'm not someone who uh, has done, you know, would be associated with a lot of activism on that subject in particular or anything. I haven't tied myself to that. But, um, you know, I am someone who, I guess, I think is a very rational perspective, but some people would consider it to be quite strong views on it, which is, uh, I mean, for example, one of the things I said in the talk is that, you know, I think from now on in ELT materials, we should only refer to it as the climate crisis or the climate emergency. We shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about climate change anymore because it's too euphemistic. Um, and it is an emergency. And my perspective on it is that, I mean, not in ELT, but uh, generally, is that the, uh, the talk about um, personal responsibility, um, which is always talking about how we must recycle and use plastic straws and eat less meat and all of those kind of things, um, is a big distraction from the real issues, which are we need to fundamentally change aspects of our economic system and manufacturing and uh, and so on, right? So that's a big, scary topic, but it's true. It's just the way it is. Um, we can all make our, we can all do as much as we possibly can as individuals. And the, you know, and, and I would suggest that we should do that because we have a moral imperative to do our part. But at the end of the day, you know, that is not going to be enough. If everyone does their bit, that is not enough. Um, but if we can fundamentally change, you know, industry and so on, then that that would be enough to reverse the course that we're that we're on. So so I you know I think that for some people is quite a strong position. To me, it's the only rational way of looking at it. Um, and I you know and I think it's just a fact. I think that's just factual and, and evidence based, which is like how I like to see the world. So, so start, that was my starting position. And then, you know, as always, I'm like, okay, so in ELT, we love talking about the environment, right? It's very rare in the last 20 years that you would have picked up a course book for almost any age, any level, um, exam prep, kids, teens, um, you know, business English, anything. At some point, there would have been at least a lesson, maybe even a whole unit dedicated to the subject green units right and so i'm like okay so i don't think we should discuss whether we should be teaching this subject or not because that decision's already been made right it's it's happening exactly no, one, no one's no one's doing presentations about we should stop doing this right it, it, it is happening so <laughs> if we're going to do it then my argument is we should be doing it properly right which is to address these issues instead of um being on the you know sort of being part of the distraction Right, because I'll, so I did this big sort of research project where I went through. Uh, I found like sort of almost seventy lessons which were focused to, in some way. The subject of the lesson was related to 
something you know sort of environmental and then looked at how these lessons dealt with the the issue and did they ever talk about it as a sort of in the in the terms that I thought was appropriate so that was basically that was the premise of the of the talk it's it's fantastic because on on every level I agree with you also on some levels I you know I like to look you know playing devil's advocate and look a little further so Climate emergency, climate crisis, it absolutely has to be written as that. Um, 100% and any of the materials that I create under my name always have, you know, yeah. climate crisis, climate emergency. Um, particularly as of the second series of Renewable English as well. Um, often when it comes to writing for bigger publishers, you know, oh, well, people don't know the term climate emergency. So we need to use climate change. Like, no, that's not true. They do know the word it's, climate emergency. It's not hard That's to nonsense. understand, is it? <laughs> exactly. And, and if necessary, it can be explained within, you know, the lesson. You, know, well, you could call it the lesson. Strange. Yeah. Well, it's the same yeah, it's thing exactly. strange that in a lesson where students will probably learn some vocabulary that they don't know before. I mean, that's it's a it's a language lesson, right? That's something that's exactly pretty, a pretty fundamental part of what happens is they arrive in the lesson. There's some language they don't know, and then after the lesson, they do know it. Seems like it yeah. should be fairly easy for us to be able to teach this. Exactly, term, you know? exactly. And you know, even even if you know, you're, so you're starting the the environment unit or whatever. You could call it the climate emergency. You know, you can call it the climate crisis. You can even put it as a hashtag because teenagers will definitely know that. Um, they would definitely have seen it. So I'm completely with you on that. Climate change, the idea of climate change was brought about by the Bush administration to take away from global warming, which sounded too scary, whereas climate change was just like, oh, it's just changing, you know, you know, like changing your T-shirt, you know. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, in term, now, now, for me, what, I, what I've done with Renewable English and, and what I try and do with my materials is I've tried to go through kind of a process um, in which it starts with those individual actions, particularly with younger students, younger learners. But that's not necessarily because, you know, because I absolutely hate that quote. I'm trying to remember who it was by now and I can't, but it was, um, we don't need hundreds of people doing, um, the hundreds of people being perfect environmentalists, we need millions of people doing it imperfectly. It's like, well, yeah, we need that, but we need so much more than that. And the idea of that yeah. being the answer is not the answer. Um, yeah. But what I found in myself, in, in my daughter, um, in my wife as well, is these personal changes, these things that you make you know, to, to yourself, if you have like the, the end goal looking at the bigger the bigger picture those are the things that you do and you start to make a difference you know you start to make a difference in your own mindset mm. but you realize yeah. okay i'm doing this this you know these these 10 liters of water that i haven't used while brushing my teeth no they're not going to save the planet but what they are going to do is wake me up to the fact that there's a water emergency right and and this is something that you know we need to take bigger steps towards now this is something i posted about on linkedin yesterday actually and it's driven me absolutely batshit crazy. Excuse my language. Sorry. Apologies. Uh, money into the swear jar for that one. Um, when I get passionate about this, one, I sometimes it, it drove me absolutely crazy. Um, in the fact that the local government here um, are imposing restrictions on water because there is a drought. 
and that hose pipe ban brilliant swimming pools can't be filled excellent um, there's advice that you should shower instead of take baths great um, and then another one is you should drink bottled water and not water from the tap and and it's just like so i called them and they said well it's to hopefully make people think about when they're drinking water it's like but no like that wastes no, more water nothing. using bottled water that's no. nonsense yeah, and, and the what problem I have with this is... kind of thing. So I was going to say the problem no, I have with this kind of thing is the fact the fact that you, you know, like it's the kind of guilt tripping people, right? So you know, I mean, I would say I don't like the fact that we're supposed to feel bad that sometimes we want to fly to another country, right? I mean, we should, if we can economically afford it, we should be able to do that and not feel like guilty. Okay, if you're someone who you know these people who and there's been a lot of talk about this recently, people flying around in private jets, going like, you know, very short distances from, uh, constantly. Now that's terrible behavior, right? But if you or I want to fly once or twice a year to another country, we shouldn't be made to feel bad about that, right? We sh you know, it's uh, what we should, the conversation should be more about, okay, um, what can the airline industry do to make sure that our flights are better? But, um, Exactly that. A more extreme example of sort of trying to make people feel bad for for an activity that is, I mean, it's about as basic a human right as you are, you you can get, right? Is the ability to access tap water in your house. Right? Exactly. I mean, exactly that. If you're going to guilt guilt trip people about this, then what's left? I don't know. It's like what's left after that? Like breathing? I don't know. <laughs> no, you must breathe your carbon dioxide directly onto plants so they can receive it. You yeah. must not breathe into the yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. And the thing about the thing about flying now is, is something that we do need to make you know changes about, and, and we can campaign about these changes. And it's something that really upset me in the past because you know I, I I'm flying to the UK tomorrow. I, I I can't get there otherwise. You know I haven't seen my nan for four years, but. Yeah. Even if I weren't flying, the flight would go. Even if nobody had bought tickets for the plane, the flight would still go. And that is the issue, yeah. that ghost flights are still allowed to fly. But there's no point campaigning with people to stop flying because it doesn't matter if they're not flying, the plane will go anyway. You know, they're not going to stop the flight. And that's something that has been really difficult for me to deal with. I mean, recently I spoke at Innovate in Barcelona. And I took a six-hour train there and a six-hour train back. Um, yeah. I was in Barcelona for about 12 hours. So, you know, the journey was horrible. It was incredibly expensive. And when I got back, I got a massive migraine from it. And it was because I didn't want to take one of the five flights that left Seville that day that still left without me. Um, and But there's no incentive. And, and this is where the campaigning needs to be, is to, to stop this these nonsense flights. And... And this is where I've kind of gone with Renewable English that, you know, so I started with this, this idea that, you know, you, you look at these, all of these book, these lessons you've looked at in the books, you know, the, the climate change lessons, which I'm sure you found so many of them were things like, you know, the ice caps are melting and polar bears are dying and, you know, you can't drive your car ever because it's the worst thing in the world. Um, and what I tried to do was, you know, take traditional lessons and have a look at how that impacts the planet. So, you know, you look at the fashion lesson and you look at the huge impact of the fashion industry on the yes. planet. Exactly. You, know, you look That's at the, exactly. yeah. you look at the food lesson and you look at the impact of food and food waste has on the planet. And it's, 
you know, you're not talking about you have to be vegan. You're looking at, you know, the huge amount of water wasted in agriculture. That was one of my conclusions was that uh, one of the things I looked at in my research was finding lessons where um, it would have been very easy to include the climate crisis as an aspect of the lesson, but not the focus of the lesson. Exactly those kind of questions. And, and those are what, the two main ones that I mentioned, food and, and fashion and sort of shopping consumerism. And um, how many lessons you see where it's not even, I mean, I'm not even asking for a lot. It could be like you have the lesson and then, you know, you always have a few discussion questions there at the end or something or after the input text. And then you say, okay, so, you know, it was one of those questions, you know, do you consider, um, do you check to see where your clothes come from or your food comes from? Or do you, you know, how do you deal with waste, uh, you know, and all that, you know, that kind of, it's so easy to include that as a sort of ongoing part of, uh, of a narrative within a, you know, within a syllabus that you've got there represented in the book where you just keep going back and saying, you know, we have to be conscious of this in different aspects of our lives. And, you know, and there were some subjects where it almost felt like they were being contrary, you know, where you go like, well, I mean, how did you manage to like write this lesson? And, you know, like so, something about like, I don't know, something like sustainable cities or something like this. How did you manage to get through this lesson and not mention the climate crisis once? I mean, like, you know, it's kind of exactly I, I, I said, like, is it like a, you know, we have the parsnips of uh, the subjects that, te you know, materials writers are not supposed to talk about in their materials, yeah. which for anyone who doesn't know, it's like politics, alcohol, religion, sex, narcotics, isms and pork. And then I was like, is there a secret one? You know, it's actually the, the sort of is the environment like parsnip or, or something. <laughs> is it like a, a secret? Actually, yeah, it's it's there, but it's kind of actually we're going to do it, but we're not actually going to do it. Like, you know, we can't. We can only do it in a certain sanitized way, you know. But I think the exactly. thing that's really um, the thing that's really important, I think, about this is that I did I did some talks because I uh, about uh, inclusion, uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, as well in the past, and I have a project called the Raise Up Project, which is focused on materials uh, with a diverse and inclusive look at English. Um. And that's a project I created with my friend, Ila Coimbra. Um, and, you know, as a Brazilian educator, um, she was raised with Paula Freire being uh, the Brazilian uh, educational philosopher, um, sort of underpinning her work. And, you know, a quote that she always, we always used in, um, in our talks on this subject was this idea of there is no such thing as a neutral position, this is what he would say, right? There's no neutral position in education. You you either on the side of the oppressor or the side of the oppressed, right? Um, and this is the same here when it comes to this subject in terms of how we represent the environment as far as I'm concerned. If you're not doing the proper job of representing the reality, which is, let us not forget, mostly going to affect uh, people who uh, live in... Um, the majority of countries in the world, which um, are not what is usually considered the developing world, um, and is mostly, even within those countries, is mostly going to affect the working class people more than it's going to affect the rich people. Um, so it, this is definitely an issue which is related to, uh, to class, 
uh, as well and social justice. Um, if you're not accurately representing this crisis, what you're doing is you're siding with the elites and the powerful. Um, there is no middle ground. Um, it's one or the other. And that's exactly that. That's that's a tough question, right? That's a tough thing to consider when you're a materials writer. Um, you've got to think about those things very carefully. And it's very hard because often within the constraints of what you're writing, it's it's very frustrating. I'm, I'm, I'll, we'll talk about that very shortly. Um, yeah, I wanted to mention this this idea of, of being able to put the climate crisis in into every every lesson, as it were. It, you know, when you look at a textbook, when you look at a lesson, you can have a, a box, and it can even just just literally be a little picture of the globe and and call it the I don't know. Look at the planet. And then that little box with you say, as you say, discussion questions or a few facts or something like yeah. that. And you could just put there the climate crisis. Yeah, there you go. There's your little text box. And you can do it in every single unit of every single book, because every single thing that we do has an impact on the planet. And, and it goes beyond that, as you mentioned. Um, it's not just the planet. You know, it's other social justice issues as well. When we talk about fashion, you cannot look beyond where the clothes have come from. You know, you yeah. look at it's it's horrible looking at fast fashion. I, I read a statistic today that we're buying sixty percent more clothes now than we did in the year two thousand. You know, that's only twenty years ago. You know, I I was an adult then, and I I, I was buying clothes then, and we buy sixty percent more now than we did then. It's just like that's it's it's not okay. Because where does it go? Where does it come from? And who made it? You know, there are so many aspects well, in there. And you can't ignore gender as part of this, right? So most of the of the low-paid workers in these factories are women, right? Um, exactly. And so, so you know, there, there are so many aspects of like social justice that are very easy to kind of ignore if you choose to. But uh, but as I said, if you if you ignore them as a writer when you're bringing these um, materials. You know, and it's a real responsibility being a materials writer because you're not you're not writing a lesson just for your classroom, right? You're writing a lesson for potentially thousands and thousands of classrooms over you know over a few years. Yeah. So I do think we have to take these things very seriously. Yeah, I do always try with my own classes to get the, these issues into the classroom. I, st I still teach six hours a week. Um, you can hear my dog there shouting at me, telling me. Yes, you do, and you ignore me for those six hours a week, uh, which is terrible because you're supposed to be in here. I, I, my office is my dog's bedroom, incidentally. Um, yes, my dog has a bedroom. Uh, it's a spare room. Or, or, anyway, I was going to say your office is the dog's bedroom, or is the dog's bedroom your office? Yeah, I think the dog's bedroom is my office. It's technically <laughs> the spare room, but you know, we don't have many guests at the moment. So um, anyway. Um, so yeah, in my classes, I try and make sure I'm teaching these things. And I remember reading a tweet from, I think, Twinkle the other day saying, um, is the, should we be teaching about climate change or is it too political? And it just, it made my, my blood boil. I mean, it was obviously a post to, to ask, you know, to, to, to get opinions out there. It, it wasn't, it wasn't their opinion. I don't believe it was their opinion. Um, but to that I answer well no but also yes you know everything is political and we should be teaching our students about politics in life we should be teaching them about it we don't have to go in there you know wearing our Jeremy Corbyn t-shirts and no, you know waving the guardian at them it? 
Exactly. It doesn't at all. We don't have to go in there with our with our own agenda. But, you know, students have a right to know this. Why do you think voter apathy is so high? Because students don't care about it because they haven't been taught about these issues at school and they haven't had role models to learn from about these different issues. Yeah, Sorry, I got a bit got a bit ranty there. It happens from time to time <laughs> on this on this subject, especially, I suppose. <laughs> especially on this subject. Now, I'd, I'd like to talk about parsnips um, because yeah. parsnips to me are they're like the handcuffs of a materials writer. I would say they, mm. uh, and particularly with a lot of materials writers that we have that that are out there that are in you know my my online echo chamber. They are often very forward-thinking people. Um, you know, they believe in social justice. They're they're vocal about social justice, but then it comes to the materials, and it's not okay to write about these things. You know, for example, I was given a list for an, an activity book I'm working on at the moment of things that I couldn't talk about, and these included. I think my favourite of all of them was. You cannot include any images of women riding bicycles. And it just kind of struck me like, oh, what exactly? A, 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 women can't um, ride why, bicycles. Why is that? Apparently it's not accepted in the, in the country for which I'm writing. So um, no women riding bicycles. So one, I couldn't have... One specific country. Exactly, yes. Yeah, for one specific country. I couldn't have... Um, a woman talking to a man, unless it was made obvious that they were family. You know, it's, how can you make it obvious? How can you make a dialogue natural if you're making it obvious that it's family? Hello there, brother. Welcome to the dinner table. Let us speak about this meal we're about yes. to eat together as a yes. family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have kind of contradictory feelings about it, uh, I guess, in a way. Um, I have a lot of feelings. I don't know. Prepare yourself for your own rant now. Um, yes. <laughs> um, no, I think um, I think it very much depends. I mean, the caveat here, right, is that it very much depends on where you're writing for, right? So all of my work yeah. is for the Brazilian market currently, right? And um, Brazilian market is pretty probably permissible compared to other markets. But, you know, it's a weird time. I'm not going to get into that, but it's a weird time in Brazil. Um, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, there are, there's a big sort of contrast between, like you said, the people that you talk to, but then sometimes I think how, the, how some elements of the market could be seen. Um, uh, I was uh, having a look at, uh, in fact, my, my colleague uh, uh, and future guest, I believe, uh, Claire Venables. Um, yeah. Uh, we work together, and she's been doing some really interesting posts on Instagram this week um, about the sort of the cultural aspects of teaching Halloween lessons to kids, uh, and how we don't sort of uh, how a lot of teachers just sort of teach Halloween because it's fun, and it's supposedly like English language culture, right? It's not my culture, but okay. Um, and um, so she's been doing some really interesting posts about, okay, should we be doing this? And if we do do this, in what way? And I recommend if anyone's listening to uh, her account is uh, at, at Active English for Kids on Instagram. It's really interesting. Um, and so um, 
Yeah, when you think about you know a subject like Halloween, it seems like really benign. But then there are teachers in her in the WhatsApp group that she has, the primary teachers, talking about how, well, I can't teach Halloween because I, I'm in a religious school, so it's it's seen as evil and things like that. You know, um, so you've got these kind of arbitrary seeming restrictions on you, but then in some ways. As a writer, I kind of like having this is a thing to play with, <laughs> you know. Um, mm -hmm, exactly. Total, free total freedom is a nightmare, right? As a writer, you don't want the last thing. Anyone, the last thing you want as a writer is someone says, uh, "Can you write me a lesson?" And you go, "Okay, what, what for?" And they go, oh, "Do whatever you like." And you're like, oh, "It's too Ooh, much." Right? Nightmare. No, I want to know <laughs> their age. I want to know their profile. I want to know their level um and uh you know and, and so on so um so i quite like playing around with these things and seeing what i can get away with within the within these constraints but the bottom line is i feel like it, you know like it really is really dependent on the market that you're writing for and if you're writing for um i feel like the big problem for international writers is the fact that you know the the materials are always based on what is acceptable in the most conservative market. So if we yeah. can sell it there, we can sell it everywhere. But then you end up with materials that end up being sort of quite bland. Um, and so the question then I would ask people listening to this is, are you happy with the idea that your materials are, what's, what's in your materials is decided by the Saudi Arabian Ministry of Education, even if you don't live in Saudi Arabia, right? That's, that's the question I think we should be asking ourselves. Go, something that we want is this the kind of is that is that how we want our our industry to be represented um and the thing is with that as well sorry to interrupt like there yeah, are so ahead. many like addition for wherever like even here in spain we have the andalusia edition for certain books like so you know it can be changed so if it's fine for 80 percent of the world write it for 80 percent of the world and then Aside from that, make the other edition. And also with the, the you know, the, the, the boom in digital materials, it's so easy to do. You know, you don't have to go and print off a whole new yeah. book. Sometimes you do, but you can yeah, make those although changes. I would add a, can I add a caveat here, which is I think, uh, I think we sometimes underestimate um, the fact that it actually can be a bit more difficult to change digital materials than we think it is, right? Because it, it can be, yeah. Um, it can be, yeah. Yeah, it's not it's like not just it's a not like case of just going into, PDF, no. it's, yeah, going into your blog and just updating a bit, right? You need the technicians to go and, and yeah. you may have hired someone to create this platform for you, but you don't have them on your permanent payroll, right? Um, so, so you're right, but I think it's 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 not quite as simple as people sometimes think. No, you're right. You absolutely right. It does it does take a bit more than that. I remember when I was writing Speak Up for sustainability, you know that. I'd notice a few errors here and there, and obviously, you know, I had the, you know, I had the master copy, as it were, and it just thought, well, that needs to change, and it was only the case of changing an ebook, but you know, you still had to send it off. The, you know, they had to get rid of that PDF. You had to upload a new PDF. There's a new ebook. You know, it's, you know, for for a typo, it's it's an extra hour's work for somebody, and that's just a typo. That's not like reworking yeah. an entire unit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think. Um we we have to be um um i think that when it comes to uh, well i think when it comes to the digital stuff that uh, yes it's definitely 
becoming more um, prevalent, but I still feel like you know it's going to take an awfully long time to catch up with printed materials. Um, Definitely. And um, and so purely for, for accessibility, me, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and the fact is, I think most people, including me, to this day, if I was in the language le lesson, I'd I'd rather have a book in front of me than an iPad. Right. I don't Mate, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm yeah. showing. I'm sh everyone who, who can't see. Obviously, I'm showing James my notebook, which I have in front of me because yeah. I, yeah, I no, always I'm take notes. Same. Like always I'm by pen. No matter what kind of meeting I'm in, it's always it's always by pen. I don't yeah. know if it's because I'm old school, but you know, no, I find I it enters the, the brain better. Yeah, I, and I think there's that. that I, not exactly sure. I think there's research that says you know, like writing things down, as in writing them down, not typing them aids memory right so which obviously if you're teaching a language then memory is a big part of what we do right so it's kind of important activating memory yeah so yeah um but yeah so i think that we have to be careful about sort of um when we talk about tech because uh we always tend to overestimate its potential and capabilities and how and how long it takes you know we think that oh within a couple of years everyone will be doing this and no it's never just go back, like I said, go back and look at a course book from say 2005, and look at how many of the technological advances they were talking about then are either relevant today or um, became very outdated very quickly. You know, like so they, so they, you know, was replaced by something else. But but it, you know, the, the idea that everything sort of takes these massive jump forward, jumps forward all the time, is not. That's why uh, it completely. A tangent, but you know, when I had an interesting discussion at ITFO about um, AI and all of this kind of stuff, like replacing teachers and all this, this kind of thing, uh, translation apps and stuff like that, I go, well, we, they're, they're definitely going to take away a lot of people's jobs, but that last like 5% of, of, of translation is going to take them a really, really long time to crack. So, yeah, it's, it's always the last 5% that's really difficult, but anyway, that was a tangent. So, um yeah, so I think that there's um, definitely, um, you know, it, it, things are changing a, a bit, um, but I think maybe the more more relevant change is the, I, th I, I wonder if things will become more fragmented geographically in terms of like the, the, these kind of massive international course books that get sold all, all over the world, whether that's um, going to be as... Uh, um, as common in the future, especially with um, kids and teens, yeah. because those are massive markets, right? So it's like for a Brazilian publisher, right? Brazilian publishers, there's lots of Brazilian publishers who who publish materials for kids and teens, right? There are almost none that publish anything for adults, because the market is significantly smaller, right? Yeah. Um, but if you're doing, but if you're, if you can get into a few private language schools around Brazil. Obviously, Brazil is a continental country, right? So if you can get into a certain chains, then you can sell tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of books. Um, yeah, and, so and the thing is, the effort. when it comes to writing books as well, like this, you know, almost tarring everyone with the same brush of learning, it's, it, well, it's not a good idea. You know, I'm, I'm writing pronunciation activities here in Spain, the B and the V is a massive thing. But if that's in a general book, like, that's not an issue for other countries. You know, you go and try and sell that to a Chinese market, they're going to be like, well, we don't have that issue. You know, we, we don't struggle with the, they do, the Bs they do and the Korea, Vs. Though, so you could sell it there. 
Well, there you go. I'm just <laughs> taking note of where I can sell the, the B versus V street that I borrowed from uh, Mark Hancock. Um, oh, yeah. so, yeah. If his um, pronunciation has got to have been borrowed from, from him. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, yeah, I think that this is a this is sort of interesting fragmentation may happen. Um, and I don't, you know, that's probably a good thing, right? I think that um, because then we can um, work on materials that we know, uh, and not so much about the subjects and stuff, but actually like the more technical aspects of it, like you said there, we, you know, we can highlight those aspects that are particularly relevant in our and in the geographical area that we're working in. Right? Exactly. Now, I want to um, swing back over to the to the, the, the kind of main topic, you know, we've gone into the, the kind of nitty gritty of, of language teaching there with those particular, um, you know, you know, grammar issues or pronunciation issues. Um, I want to talk about raise up, if that's okay yeah. with you. Um, that's where I first heard about you. Um, mm -hmm. I remember seeing and hearing about that and just thinking, wow, this is like everything ELT doesn't have and everything ELT needs. Um, <laughs> So can you tell us a little bit more about Razor and, and how it came about? Sure. So, um, so yeah, the Razor project is um, a, a, we create materials which are designed to show a more inclusive view of English. So the idea of, of ELT lessons, right? So they these are like mainstream um style like course book lessons right so they're supposed to be it's, it's deliberate that we we want these lessons in terms of like say a grammar vocabulary those you know pronunciation those, you know the sort of functions all that kind of stuff it will be very very familiar to any teacher who's taught with a sort of mainstream international elt course book there's no nothing revolutionary about the method that's the point right is that we we wanted that to to be like that so that then when we have the subjects on, on, of the lessons, which are much more inclusive than, uh, than ELT can usually is able to do, then we, um, we can show, you know, the, the, we have different goals, right? One of the goals is to create really good materials that teachers can use. But then, and then, and, but another goal is to show everyone, say, look, you, you can do this. You don't have to be some sort of like, alternative, you know, like sort of underground course book crisis or anything, you can do completely mainstream, regular ELT stuff, and you can be inclusive at the same time. So uh, our definition of inclusion, it's important to mention that, that um, because understandably, when, when you think about this topic, usually people think of a certain number of areas, right? So of identities, particularly, so, so you're going to think of the LGBTQIA plus community, you're going to think of um, uh, uh, different people of colour, you're going to um, think about gender, probably. Um, those would be the three sort of main ones, and we do include those. But our, uh, our remit is kind of broader, and we, you know, we talk about um, other types of people that we, that we feel are mainly people, but also uh, subjects that we feel are poorly represented. Uh, so these include things like, you know, the working class. Right? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Um, people living in rural communities, um, um, refugees, immigrants, um, uh, elderly people, disabled people, um, depictions uh, of religion, 
um, is one that you know you never see in you know which is kind of odd when you think about how dominant religion is in the world. Um, well, uh, it's one of it's one um, of the big parsnips, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and, um, and 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 we were very deliberate about how we word that, right? So it's not really like lessons about religion, but it's more like a, a religious expression, if you see what I mean, as part of someone's identity, yeah. right? Um, and um, uh, mental health. Um, uh, so so quite a lot of. Um, and there's a few others as well. Um, I imagine so, neurodiversity probably comes in there as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we we sort of the idea is that we have lessons which um, include these identities and topics, not as the focus of the lesson usually, but as an element of the lesson which is which is included. Right. So um, so this is a project which. Ila and I started a few years ago. It was a few years ago now, um, and we were joined by um, Eleni Hodgson and uh, Thais Lombardi, and they um, um, together we work on these. We've published three books so far. We've been on a bit of a hiatus for the sort of last couple of years because of uh, you know, life, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Uh, it happens, right? And and uh, the, the important thing is all of the money from this project goes to charities, right? So we choose different um, charity organisations for each book. So every every single person who works on it is a volunteer. So that includes all of us, of the organisers, uh, uh, all of the writers. So what we've done now, initially, Ila and I wrote the first book together, but then now we um, have people volunteer to write a lesson for us. And that's a variety of people from um, people who are very experienced. So we've had people like um, Hugh Della. Uh, we've got Kerry Jones coming up soon. You know, people who are like international published course book writers. Yeah. But then we also have people who've never written a lesson, published lesson before in their life. And they're teachers who are really passionate about a particular subjects. And um, they come to us and say, I'd really like to write a lesson about this. And then we match them up with an experienced editor and together they work on the lesson. Um, so that it's like a mentoring program as well. So which in itself is started. so I was gonna say which in itself is, is inclusion because it's 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 giving like the work, it's giving the voice to to people who would never get the voice. But it's for me like when I started writing having those experienced editors made such a massive difference. I didn't realize how much of a difference it would make, but, you know, editors are way more than checking for your mistakes. You know, they, they're, they're brilliant in ways in exactly, they, they, exactly. Like they, they encourage different ideas to come out of you. They, they tell you if an idea isn't the best idea, even if when you're writing it, you think that, you know, uh, a, yeah. a, a tweet from someone in history is the best idea in the world. Maybe it's not the best idea in the world in that situation. It would work better elsewhere. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted you there again. No, 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 it's fine. No, I know I completely agree. And and but I think what we what we've created there is that kind of mentoring program, where you know people can, um, you know, get this experience, but then they get to work with someone to help them. Um, which is very value, very valuable. I mean, you know, I can imagine for you, if you think back to before you 
had ever written a published lesson, if you'd been given that opportunity to have it, not just have having an editor, but having like a sort of mentor editor to sort of take a bit more care with you because they know you've never done this before. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think that's really valuable. Um, and, and as you said, it's inclusive because we want to, not only do we want to um, give people, the, you know, opportunities, but we want to diversify our industry, right? So, I mean, you know, the two of us are sitting here as materials writers um, and, uh, you know, um, although people can't see us, we're two uh, white men. And, um, and so... We are. And we're both uh, from uh, the UK, right? Um, yeah. And and so traditionally, that's what most materials would, writers would have looked like, and like many aspects of life, um, uh, you know, people are making an effort to, to diversify that. Uh, and that. Can I mean, maybe maybe there's there's also white women from the UK who are included in that as well. There's quite a lot of those. Oh, yes, but, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, but, but, but it uh, is it is almost entirely. You know, when you look at when you look at authors of course books and stuff like that, it's it, it it's rare that it's it's any more diverse than that. I mean, it is becoming yeah. more diverse, but it's rare. No, no. So I know that with um, um, you know, like I said, nowadays people are making an effort, right? So, um, I think that with um, you know, with with different projects, I think that you know, this is where publishers are looking to sort of say. Okay, we we need to have a more diverse team of people working on this, because like I always say about anything where it becomes more diverse, it just becomes more interesting. It's more interesting to work exactly, it's, and the material becomes more interesting. You've got different perspectives, you know. Like and and if you think about you know this this you know as we were talking about before, what happens in a, a course book, but is not the grammar and the vocabulary and the functions etc but all that other stuff around it when you've got people who are coming at it from different perspectives who've lived different lives know different things then you're going to get like a more interesting sort of variety it just yeah it's why i'm a big fan of english as a lingua franca approach um apart from the fact that i think it makes a lot of sense um you know w when you're sort of the side effect of it is that you're sort of if you decide we're not just going to have a load of like you know white people from England and the US talking, then suddenly your materials become a lot more interesting, right? Because now you've got people from all over the world talking about their experiences, and inevitably they have different experiences because of where they're from. Um, exactly. So you just have you just have more interesting lessons. So you know, it's who, who so much more that? interesting and so much more inclusive to the learner. Like for, for me again, I'm going to I'm going to harp back to mm. pronunciation. Um, Far too often, you know, you look at the pronunciation section in a book and it'll be, you know, in the bottom corner, there'll be two phonemes there saying, this is how you say this word. And it's like, well, that's not even how we would say that word across the UK. Like, so, you know, that, that's, yeah, that is how, that's how I would say it because, you know, I have this general English accent, but, you know, you, you can't look at English in that way. English is, English is not spoken only by people who have English as a mother tongue. It's spoken by far more people who use it as a second language. Yeah. Just yeah. because English people don't have a second language doesn't mean other people don't as well. Yeah. Yeah, so it, 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 like I said, it is just a more accurate depiction of the reality. And it, it makes you, uh, you know, the less uh, more interesting for students. And of course, in terms of their identity, you want 
the students in the lessons to some, I think what we want them to have is an a mixture of experiences, right? We want to see people who look and sound like them. And we also want them to look and see people who are completely different to them. And we want that to be a variety. We want them to experience the world. And, and you know, the, the said that I always do, you know, the talks around this sort of central thesis of what is it that we're doing in our lessons outside of the grammar and the vocabulary, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when we're doing that, when we're bringing these kind of different viewpoints, different perspectives, you know, whether it's talking about climate crisis or having more diverse lessons. And uh, I also do a workshop about um, how, how lessons can be better tailored for introverted learners. Um, and, you know, all of this stuff, right, is creating a better experience for the students, which let's not forget is the most important thing, right? Is that we want to have the experience of our students, experience, and by that I mean how well they learn the language, because that is the main thing, but also yeah. that time that we're, we're spending all that time of them in the lessons, right? So let's make the most of it. Let's do, let's do valuable, interesting things. Let's talk about valuable, interesting subjects while they're learning their vocabulary and their grammar and they're learning their pronunciation and so on. Because you, you'll learn it all so much easier if it, if it is engaging. Now, something you mentioned there like really struck a chord with me. Um, now, we often talk about with our materials, making sure we include these people because people need to see people like them in books. You know, and, and I think that is absolutely vital. But I do think it's perhaps even more vital that people see people who don't look like them. You know, I know that here in, in this little village I live in, in Spain, that, you know, in the school, there's no diversity in the school whatsoever. Everybody, mm. the diversity is basically my daughter and, and one other uh, child who has a, well, a British I, parent. If you're, talking, like, no, if you're talking in terms of like... Um, of ethnicity. In terms of ethnicity, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, diversity in other There countries. is an awful lot of diversity, absolutely, yeah. yeah. There are people from all sorts of different backgrounds. But yeah, like ethnic diversity. So when like they look at the page, you know, when, when they open the book, um, something that really struck me, particularly when I worked in a private school, was if there was a person of colour in there, like there would be a reaction from people. And, and I've never been more angry in a classroom than, than when this happened. They... They opened the book, there was a person of colour, and the instant reaction was about five or six of the boys in the class just shouted the N-word. And it was just like, what is going on here? What have these people learned before? Like, and they need to be able to yeah. see this to learn that, you know what, that's not cool, that's not okay. Um, th these kids don't need to see people who look like them. You know, what these people need no, to well, see... That, that's what um, I was going to say, yeah, in terms of when you said, like, it's almost more important that people... Sit, people see people who don't look like them i think it depends who that person is right so, exactly so yeah exactly if you're, if you're in from my situation whatever, yeah if you're from the sort of majority however you want to define that group right the, if you're from the kind of group where you don't feel the need to vote you know seeing someone like you it doesn't even register because that's normal right which is how i grew up right mm -hmm. like, seeing people like me and go yeah that's fine right um um whereas whenever you hear someone from a different group talk, talking about um, the moment. Uh, both, uh, go back to the Raise Up presentation that Ila and I used to do. We're both huge Star Trek fans, right? So we, um, 
we included a quote from Whoopi Goldberg talking about seeing Nichelle Nichols as Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek and just seeing her on the TV and being, like, her mind being blown that there was this, you know, a woman on TV who looked like her, right? I never had a moment like that. That never happened to me, right? Where I looked at the no. TV and went, oh my God, you know. So, so I think that um, when we think about who's in the pages there of the books, um, then it very much depends on our place. Who's looking at it? The exactly. culture that we live in, right? So, yeah. so, for, for, so as writers, um, and when you talk about, you know, obviously identity is intersectional, right? So we all have different um, aspects of our identity, it's not cannot be just boiled down to one label. Uh, you know, we can sometimes have six, seven different you know sort of labels that we give ourselves. Um, and when you so when you think about as materials writers, when we think about this, you know, representation, this is one of the reasons why we have such a big list of uh, um, uh, on raise up of these areas that we believe are not covered very well in ELT is because, you know, it's not enough to just be like someone from a particular one of those groups on our list and say, okay, I'm going to include people like me in my materials, right? But because in reality, if you're a materials writer, you know, you write a lot of lessons in a year. And, no, and, 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 and in a course book, you know, you don't have 25 different writers sort of all writing about people like themselves. That's just not how it works. You get like two, three writers, right? So, yeah. so we, we all whatever our identity is, we all need to be better at including people who, um, who, are not, uh, who do not share our identities with us, right? So that may be that, you know, you may be someone who's physically abled, but you need to be conscious of the fact when you look at your materials and go, I haven't included any people with disabilities anywhere in these materials, then you need to do something about that, right? So, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I, okay, I've, in, I've, I've just realised when I look at this, when I look at my materials, I've noticed that in the conversations between men and women, the men always speak first, and the women are always replying to what the man what the man wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. Okay, I need to change that, right? That's not good enough. I need to I need to change that. Um, I've noticed that whenever I include someone who's elderly, um, I either include them as like just a sort of anonymous grandmother figure, or they're this incredible inspiration figure who's much managed to climb Everest despite being elderly, right? It's like <laughs> you can't just be like a regular like person in their in the shops in the course book. Yeah. Right? You can't exactly. just, you can't be the person who's going shopping can't be like, you know, just in their seventies. It's gotta be someone who's either like a sort of anonymous stereotype grandmother or yeah, they've climbed Everest, you know, in their incredible inspirational story. Um, yeah. And you you may not be a materials writer who's in your seventies or eighties. You need to be thinking about those things when you when you create your materials. So that's Absolutely. why we put we put this emphasis on it. It's not enough to just sort of do a good job of representing your own particular interest. Uh, for me, it's class. You know, I come from a working class background, so I'm always thinking about how you know working class people are represented in my materials. But that's not enough. I need to do, I need to do more than that. I think that phrase is super important. Now we're going to shoot off for a couple of minutes, but that I need to do more and that's not good enough is something we need to take into whenever we write materials. So um, we will be back in two minutes. Um, be great if you'd hang around for the for the last 15 minutes of the show as well. Um, but for now, we're just going to, wonderful, shoot off now. Um,
for the adverts. We have teamed up with the Witherslack Group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free, with lunch included, and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for Your Voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash Your Voice 2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at etc. Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Welcome back, everybody. Um, thank you for, for hanging around. Welcome back, James. Um, now, before we left, we left on the note of that's not good enough. Like, is what you need to look at your your materials. Now, now, I'm not saying everyone needs to be hypercritical of everything they're doing. I know people are busy, and you know, teachers especially. You know, we can't we can't always look at ourselves under this microscope. You know, in in that moment. But but something that I've noticed myself, and it has been in in the last year or so, no, two years probably, that there are areas that I miss out on. And so when I do a, particularly when I'm doing presentations as well, because usually when I'm doing a presentation, be it for whichever publisher or for Renewable English, I usually have pretty much freedom in what I put into the materials, you know, in, into the talk, because it's, it's, it's me giving the talk with my ideas. So when it comes to the, the slides and stuff like that, that's a place that I've found incredibly easy to be more inclusive. You know, you just yeah. look, you have to look for different pictures. That, that's literally all you have to do. Yeah. Um, but I found it, you know, for me, quite, you know, quite good for raising that awareness in myself. Well, you know, when, you know, you've got this picture and, for example, the next talk I'm doing talks about... Um, some of the barriers we come up against as as teachers, uh, as materials writers, when it comes to the climate crisis, and and the, the the main barriers are the students who don't want to learn it, the parents who don't want you to learn about it, the school management, and the teachers. It's so easy in those pictures to not just go on to unsplash and type in teachers, and there you go. Wow, I've got a picture of basically me, um, or 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 girl me. 
Um, you know, or you know, it's, it's so easy to just look a little bit deeper, go somewhere a bit further, and and find materials, find images that represent everybody. Again, a teacher can be a, a sixty-five. It could be a picture of my mum, a sixty-five-year-old woman. You know, she's. You know, yeah. I don't want to say representing the elderly because I've got to see her tomorrow, and if she's listening, she'll batter me. <laughs> but I think um, when with uh, yeah, um, you know, we always said that uh, when we were sort of doing this presentation, giving advice to teachers as opposed to materials writers, right? Then images are one of the easiest ways that you can sort of amend your course book, right? So if there's some pictures in the course book, you know, and you feel like well, they're not very diverse, then you know, you can just change them out you know you can probably project them or something if you have those facilities and then say instead of doing activity one in the class in the course book you do the same activity but with these pictures instead right and that's relatively low demand on the teacher right but i think that um this is one of the reasons why, you know like when we talk to people creating materials um why these things are important is precisely for that reason you say which is that you know teachers don't have the time nor are they paid to rewrite the course book that you're writing right you know it's it, and so we shouldn't be sort of putting them in a position where they feel like that that's something they need to do right we should yeah to go and um, do so much extra work you know it's, it, it's yeah, not okay they're not, they're not they're not paid to do that so we, no. we shouldn't and they're already um, overworked we shouldn't be put in that position yeah um but but i think as well then when it comes and when it comes to writers as well we have to look you know the, the images are the easy way, right? That's the easiest thing to do if you want to get your representation is you just make sure you've got, you know, sort of a mix of ethnicities on the page and then you can say, yep, yeah, I've done that, right? Um, Again, it's not good enough. enough. It's a start, but it's not good enough. No, I think you have to really uh, think about, you know, course books are, uh, uh, beyond course books, materials are full of voices, right? They're full of people's voices. People are always speaking. They're talking about things that they do, their experiences, their beliefs and so on. And so the question then is, okay, whose voices am I going to bring into this, uh, into these lessons? Right? And we've never, it's never been easier to find voices from around the world talking about their real lives or, you know, these things. And so, um, so there's no, um, you know, that's the thing we need to be talking about. And, and, and we have to be very careful about what we call the, the, the tourist gaze, right? Say, well, you know, I'm being representative because I did a lesson about Africa or something, right? That's the stereotype. Yeah. Well, okay, true. But the perspective of that lesson is look, let's look at what they do over there. Yeah. Right. As opposed to let's let them tell us about their lives themselves. Exactly. Of course, there's an assumption underpinning that, which is that, you know, people in Africa aren't going to be using the book themselves, right? And then look at it and go, oh, this is my country. But um, leaving that aside, um, um, I think that that kind of tourist gaze of saying, you know, let's let's have a look at, okay, everyone, let's go and, you know, look at sort of look, get our binoculars and let's go and have a look at what they're doing. Go, yeah. No, no, let them, let them speak for themselves. And, and the worst examples of this, which you don't see very much anymore, I'd say, but you would see a few years ago was the kind of, you know, the white knight lessons. The person oh, the guy who goes and builds a school. Yeah. Goes over for That's three true. months in his summer holidays. Oh my gosh, it's oh, it's so infuriating. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah, I'm really much. lucky that, that at the moment I'm I'm working on a on a project. Uh, I've just started working. We're just hashing it out at the moment. It's it's with a one of my previous guests actually, and it, it's a wonderful project. And it's 
it's involved in sustainability and indigenous voices. Um, and it's basically, yeah. you go on, on an adventure through an indigenous village and you see it through the mm. eyes of the villagers and they talk about what they do and where they go and mm. and how they go about their days and and you know there's a there's a an, an archer who's there and you know he talks mm. about how he makes the bow and he makes the arrow but you're, you're seeing it from that point of view you'll see you're hearing about it from them it's not oh look at the archer look what he can do so it's yeah. brilliant to, to have their voice and it can be fairly mundane, right? It doesn't have to be uh, even that exciting. So think of a, you know, standard kind of classic thing like, um, you know, daily routines or something. You know, why does it have to be that the daily routine has to, the person who's doing that has to be like similar to the person who's using the book, supposedly, right? Why is it that, they, you know, this idea, you know, because I don't know, in other cultures, do they not get up? Go to know, school? Shower? have yeah. breakfast, you know, like brush their teeth and stuff like this, right? So, um, so I think, uh, you know, why is it that we can't have, um, uh, yeah, like even, you know, in those kind of, it doesn't have to be like a really you know, a sort of interesting cultural lesson about these people. I mean, great if that happens, but you know, there can be other lessons where, you know, it's pretty run of the mill. Exactly. The mundane. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The mundane lessons like that they have to do. It's funny because you say that about the daily routine and it is always with this kind of, you know, Eurocentric view of it or whatever. But we, we have the, here in Spain, it has, when you look at the daily routine in, in, a, in a book or whatever, it, it usually says, you know, I wake up, you know, I brush my teeth, I have a shower, you know, I have, well, sorry, I have my breakfast, I brush my teeth, or I have a shower. In yeah, Spain, they don't have a shower before school. It's always after. Like nobody has a shower in the morning here. Everyone has a shower at night. So, but immediately, yeah. even here, e even that small difference is, it's not relevant. So you know, mm. why don't we just get the the opinion from somewhere else and say, and then you can look at it and say, how is that different to your routine? You know, okay, maybe you don't and, walk to school, but they do walk to school. And if you're using authentic material, which a lot of publishers like nowadays, then um, then one of the benefits of that is the fact that you can find, you know, these kind of actual people doing these things around the world um, and uh, and use that. You know, so I think the last time I had to write a daily routine, it was for the Brazilian market, but it was about a woman living in Hong Kong, I want to say and going to work in a startup and stuff, you know, like completely, completely different cultural environment, but fundamentally the same pillars, the same vocabulary that you can use to describe a Brazilian regular, not, not that everyone in Brazil is the same, it's 200 million of them, but, um, <laughs> you know, what, generally what people in Brazil would do. And then, but also the language, as you say, the language is what you're going to learn. Like you're going to learn, get up, you're going to learn, brush your teeth, you're going to learn. What they never put in, and I don't understand why, they never put in, have a wee. Because for me, the first thing I do every day is have a wee. So, but that's never included in the course book. It's, it's, well, no, that's I just, mean, you know, no, it's not realistic. I, I, like to, I like to keep things above the waist, so uh, I, I don't do that one. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> let's not include I'm, having a wee in daily I'm, routines. I'm a bit of a, a puritanical, so a puritanical uh, person. So a new person. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, keep it above the waist, please. Come on.
No talking about weeds in your course book, Harry. Okay, no weeds in my <laughs> course book. It is something I like to include in my lessons, though. And again, it's a way that you can, you know, you can get away from the course book and you can add those kind of real life. It's not a real life issue going to the toilet, but it's not something we ever talk about in our in our course books or in our vocabulary. And when you're doing it with young learners, there's nothing funnier than talking about wee and poo. So, you know, they love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to take your take your word for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be lobbying the the publishers now. Um, yeah, we need to talk yeah, about well, morning weeds. <laughs> I'll leave that. I'll leave that for you to uh, to take care of. That's not going to be appearing in any of my presentations anytime soon. IATF <laughs> next year. There you go. I've got it planned. <laughs> oh, I missed the deadline. Never mind. Um, Demanding yeah, a plenary. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's what I want to talk about. That's the only thing that's missed in the course books. Um, but yeah, it is, it's so easy to, to include, you know, the real world in, in our materials. Now there's, there's access to it everywhere. And, and even if, you know, you don't have the materials made already, it's not difficult to find somebody to tell you about it. You know, you can chuck it up in a Facebook group. You can chuck it up on, on Twitter, you know, I'm looking for a voice from Brazil to talk about their which sports they like. Okay, that's yeah, I mean, all. I, I just I, wanted to talk about that. I even think that it's possible that you know you can create your own materials as as I do sometimes. It's necessary um, uh, because you you know like if you can do that, then you can create exactly the thing that the students need for that lesson. Um, you know, you know, if you've spent a lot of time looking for authentic materials like I have, because this publisher, that's what they want. And then you're doing a, like, you know, a one book and then they're like, need authentic <laughs> materials. And then you're like, find it. And then you think you found that perfect YouTube video where you're like, thank you. And then suddenly they, they, you know, they start using the present perfect and you go, oh no, damn it. Why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so if you do. You know, you can still create your own materials, um, but the research is really important, right? So you can go and do your research to try and make sure that it's true to, um, and, and it, it, that is a bit problematic. I get that. It's not ideal. Um, but if we have to deal with the reality of the situation, then the, at least we're trying to make an effort to, I would prefer, you know, writers to try and do that and do a genuine attempt. Um, because obviously you would hope that the editors would help in this as well and identify, flag any issues that might come up, rather than just say, well, okay, I'm just going to write about people like me. You know, yeah, and unlike, unlike teachers, it is what we're paid to do. You know, so that the, the materials yeah. right outside that is what I'm paid to do. I mean, yeah. you know, we don't make millions, but our job is to write decent materials. So the least yeah. we can do is write decent materials. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, James, it's, it, we've got a few minutes left. Um, so before I, I don't want to go off onto another topic because um, I fear we'll be here till till midnight, and, and there are other presenters who who are due to go on. They'll they'll hate me forever. Um, I feel like I could talk to you until midnight though. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, where can they find you, um, for example? Um, I'm in all the places. Um, I um, uh, so you can find me on all, all of those. I'm not a frequent poster, but I, I but I'm always around. Um, 
So you can find me um, on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and uh, I'm usually, uh, well, the best way, the best thing to do is if you find my blog, which is theteacherjames.com, and then from there you can link to any of the places where you can follow me. Um, I have a couple of podcasts I could tell you about. So um, uh, the TEFL Commute podcast um, is one I've been doing with Lindsay Clanfield and Sean Wilden for, I think, about eight years. Uh, we just kicked off. Uh, our latest season, which is episode 101. So, um, yeah. Lindsay's so brilliant, been, eh? Yeah. So we've been going a while. He's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Lindsay's <is> rubbish. <laughs> no, no, no. I saw him the other day. At um, it, was, it was really nice yeah. to see him. Um, no. So yeah, yeah we, we've been doing that for a long time. So that's really good. I also do a couple of other podcasts uh, with my friend Vicky Loris that um, I produce. She presents, if people are interested, one is um, uh, called the Fon Pod, where it's uh, related to phonetics and phonology. Um, and that's pretty serious stuff. It's a bit over my head. Luckily, I only, I only <laughs> produce it. <laughs> She's uh, a, <laughs> well, and uh, the, the, the level will give us another idea. Her second podcast is called Meet the PhDs, where she speaks oh, to okay. PhD candidates about their research. Again, that's a little bit out of my level, but they're very interesting conversations. So you can check them out. Um, and uh, Brass Tissot was my other main thing. I mentioned Raise Up already. Brass Tissot, the Brazilian English Teachers Association that I'm a big part of. And uh, come and check us out because we're always doing lots of things and we're very active. So I hopefully, hopefully, yeah, that's brilliant. That's lovely. I'll put it, I'll put the details, I'll put your website and stuff in the, in the description box below for anyone who's listening back. Um, and hopefully, I'll be able to to see you at Braz Tisol at some point in the near future because I love Brazil. It was the first place I went when I left uh, when I left the UK. So I have very fond memories when I had hair and no beard. So it was a long time ago. <laughs> no one would recognise you if you come back then. <laughs> I certainly hope not. <laughs> um, it's been an absolute well, we'd love pleasure. To see you. Well, I will be. I'll be. You know, I'll be looking for someone to sponsor to get me over there. See if I can walk sure. it, because, um, you know, <laughs> flying's bad. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I, I can't emphasize how much fun this has been. It's, it's been great, um, informative, um, and wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you so much for asking me. It was my, my pleasure. I enjoyed it very much, and I'm, I've been more than happy to come back at some point in the future. When you've run out of other people to talk to, then you I, can I would love get to have back you back. On. I would love to have you back. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll be back in two weeks because next week I won't be here. Um, I'll be speaking to uh, Nicola in a couple of weeks. We'll be talking all about finances. So um, I'll speak to you then. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Wrong outro there. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.